there's something in the power of those words that we were just singing there that I think we need to, to press into. And I'm going to do that with the word, and then I think we might be singing that song later just to keep, keep in this moment, really, around what God wants to do this morning. Because I believe God wants to do something quite significant in our lives this morning. Uh, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Yeah? Anybody, anybody pull an all-nighter on Thursday to stay up all night? One person? Anybody else? Just the one? The rest of you watched the exit polls and went to bed. That's what I, I, I allowed about half an hour on Thursday night to watch um, what was happening after we'd had life group and then stayed up for a little bit just to, to kind of catch up on the, what was going on in the nation and uh, went to bed thinking, oh, this will be interesting and woke up about five o'clock-ish and, and checked what was going on then and thought, oh, this is interesting and uh, carried on. And uh, there we go. And we need to pray for our nation, don't we? Uh, as we always do. The Bible encourages us to pray for the, those who lead and those in authority, uh, for peace for our land. At the time when Israel is sent off in exile, they're encouraged to pray for the peace and prosperity of the land that they're sent to. So it's a good thing for us to be praying into the nation in which we live. But I'm delighted as well that we're citizens of another kingdom, that we're citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, what I mean by that is that as Christians, we're following Jesus. And the Bible tells us that God is establishing his kingdom. And that means that he's always going to reign and rule. And uh, he who is coming, Jesus, we were singing earlier, is coming back one day to establish his throne. And that's very exciting indeed. Uh, I didn't stay up to watch the election, but one of the habits which I, it's, it's confession time now in public. Uh, it's, it's a bad habit, and I haven't done it for a while, which probably means that now I've mentioned it in public, I'll find myself doing it again. Um, but this is a bad habit. Sometimes when I've had a meeting and got back home late, um, I kind of need to unwind for a bit. I don't know if you do the same when you've been busy. And so what I'll do, the fatal mistake is to put the TV on. Because I'm not usually interested in programs, but I quite like films. And the fatal mistake is to then, at whatever late time it is, to start watching a film... Uh, and I, n- I never catch the beginning, but just to start watching a film, and particularly one on a channel which has advert breaks, that's absolutely fatal. And I know this, and I should know better, but what happens is I get to the first advert break, and I'm kind of just piecing the plot together of the film, because of course I didn't see the start anyway, um, I- I- and I'll get to the adverts, and I hate watching adverts, so I'll flick over. And of course I'll flick over to another film. And then what happens is I spend... Longer than I should, because I'm already tired, which is why I lack the self-control to turn the TV back off again and go to bed where I should be. And I flick between competing films, trying to keep the thread of two at once. If that second film also has adverts, I'll go to third sometimes. But that just gets ridiculous. And of course, none of them finish at the same time. So you end up kind of staggering. And and, and usually, because I've not seen the the start of the film and kind of bits of the middle are a bit confused, I'll get to the end and go, oh, I had seen that one before. (laughs) I remember it now. And I've just wasted several hours. And it's then early in the morning and I should be fast asleep. The Bible story I want to read today is it's not quite like that, but there's a, there's a lot going on, and it, and it feels as if we haven't quite arrived at the start of the story. Uh, as we read this story, it's, it's a well-known one for some of you. Um, you'll think, oh, I know this story. But when we actually dig into it a little bit, it, it feels as though there's something missing, that there's a pre-story that we haven't seen. You know, I, I discovered by going on a flight and watching the films on a flight that, that the beginning of films are actually quite helpful. 
At the beginning of films actually set up the characters and set up what's going to happen. I've discovered on those occasions when we sit down as a family and watch a film that actually some quite good stuff at the beginning. It, it kind of is helpful to see the beginning, but this Bible story, you kind of wish there was a backstory, but there isn't one. And so we're going to get into the scripture. Just see if you feel the same as I do about this, this passage. This is Luke chapter 7, and the theme is today is when your debt is paid. This is Luke chapter 7. The words will be on the screen from the NIV, but so do have a look in your Bible and follow along. Luke 7 verse 36 to 50 says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something Sorry. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain moneylender. One owned him, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which do you think will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman. And said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now the story starts fairly innocuously, fairly simple. Jesus gets a dinner invite. That's the story. Simon the Pharisee decides he wants to have Jesus to his house for dinner, and so he invites him. And so Jesus goes. So far, so normal. This is everyday stuff, isn't it? People eating dinner together, people meeting up. And so Jesus goes to the man's house, and you read in the text there, or you heard it read, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this is slightly unusual. Um, the closest I've got, I'm not going to move the large glass one because that will take too long. But the closest we've got is a little sort of cafe table, maybe a little bistro table, perhaps. And if I grabbed a chair, we would normally expect that somebody would sit like so. And you might sit on outside the cafe with your cup of coffee, your paper just enjoying the sunshine and soaking it up. And if you went to someone's house, the table would probably be a little bit bigger than this because you'd not be getting much for dinner if this was the table. 
or there'd be lots of courses. And you'd sit across from each other and you'd enjoy your meal. And you'd chat and you'd, you'd talk and you'd, you'd eye, have eye contact. And, and this would be our normal practice. And when you go to someone's house, you might take your shoes off because that might be the normal thing to do. But eventually, if it's a meal, you'd probably get to sit down at the table at some point. Just possibly it's a TV dinner and you've been invited around and you're sitting on the sofa. But those are the kind of two alternatives. Generally speaking, you're sitting at a table uh, talking with people. The situation we find in the New Testament is quite different from this. And I don't have a suitable table to demonstrate this with. Um, nor do I have a suitable chair because Jesus isn't actually sitting on one. This is probably where it gets a little bit messy. So Jesus instead, and I'm getting older so I might not get back up again. Um, Jesus is actually reclining at the table. So if you imagine the table is here towards the front of the stage, Jesus is, would have been lying down, reclining on one elbow at the table with his feet away from the table. So his feet are pointing away from the table and he's here, resting and talking with, with the others around. And, and they're close and they're intimate and there's eye contact. And, and this is the same kind of illustration where we read in the Last Supper where we, we read about the John the disciple, the disciple Jesus loved, leaning back on Jesus at the table. Uh, and you can see how that can happen when one, one's lying down and someone else can lean back and have a, just whisper towards you and then back into the meal again. And so that's the scene with Jesus and the others reclining at the table. Feet away, head towards, and everybody sharing in, in like manner. So far, normal-ish. It's getting a little bit unusual for us, but only because of culture. And then something happens. Then the Bible says that a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learns that Jesus was eating. And so she came there with a jar of perfume. And there's a word that's not translated in our English Bibles. And in verse 37, it doesn't just say a woman in that town. It says, behold, a woman in that town. Now, now that word behold is often not translated because it's, a, it's a quite a common word that's used as an extra one, just not quite as a filler, but it's a Greek expression that's there in the Greek New Testament. But it isn't translated here. And I, I just wonder if it's significant because this behold means look at Pay attention to, come close, have a look at what's about to happen. And I think what's about to happen is really key. And the message that's about to be given is, is incredibly important. And the people that we're seeing, the, particularly this woman, is very, very significant. So I just wonder if that verse, that word, behold, actually is very significant here. And I want to ask the question today, what do you see? As you hear that story read, as we go through it in a moment, what do you see? And I'm going to just talk us through the story again. So we have a woman who arrives. It's not her house. There's a meal going on and, and somewhere left of stage, I guess she's in the town. She hears that Jesus is there. She goes back home and gets some perfume because she hears Jesus is at the house and she goes towards the house. Now, in our culture, you don't normally walk into someone else's dinner party uninvited. That's not normal. Normally, if you're having dinner, as I was the other day, and there's a, the bell goes, and there were two people with tabards or some sort of things and clipboards, 
you say, I'm, I'm just in the middle of my dinner. I, I actually am. I'm not lying to you, fobbing you off, telling you to go. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of my dinner. And they said, oh, can we have some? As happened the other day. And I said, yeah, you come in if you like. And they went, oh, yeah. The, none of us were being serious. So actually, they were quite fancy some dinner, I think, at that point. But our culture is that you don't normally just turn up at someone's house uninvited. But this culture, you can. In this culture, if you're having a meal, uh, the door is open and the poor can come and they can get some food. But also people, if there's a teacher there, can come and listen. So the woman is not doing something at this point that's culturally shocking. She's arriving at a meal. Now that bit's okay. But then it starts to get quite unusual. You see, this woman who's lived a sinful life, who's gone to get her jar of perfume, stands at Jesus' feet, stands above his feet and starts to weep. And she's sobbing so much that his feet are getting wet with her tears. This is making quite a scene. This is now becoming a memorable dinner party, not just because Jesus is there, not because the meal was lovely, and oh, wasn't, wasn't that a lovely starter that we had, and I'm really looking forward to dessert. Suddenly, this has become a bit of a weird meal that you'll remember forever. And this woman is standing at Jesus' feet, sobbing and sobbing. And then she does something which is even more shocking in this culture. She's let her hair down, which is most unusual. And then she gets down, presumably on her knees, and starts wiping his feet with her hair to dry off the tears. This is becoming quite an unusual meal. She then breaks open a jar of perfume and pours it on his feet and, and and there's the smell, and there's the noise, and there's the, the sobbing, and, uh, and there's this woman with her hair uncovered, which wouldn't be a normal practice for Jewish women. Normally, hair would be covered up, or she'd be much more discreet, hair would be up. And here she is making the mess and distraction. And, and as a reader, at this point, I'm shocked. At this point, I'm putting myself as an observer in the dinner party and going, this is weird. This, this, there's something huge going on. There's something happened in this woman's life and, and she just doesn't realize what she's doing. This looks outrageous. And Simon the Pharisee, who's the host, looks at the same scene and comes up with a very different conclusion. Simon, the host, his house, his dinner, his invitation, he watches the same woman come in and perform the same ritual, the same thing. She's weeping and sobbing and perfume and wiping and all that. And he looks and he says, doesn't Jesus realize what kind of woman she is? And I read that and I thought, Simon, are you not at all worried about what's going on in your home? About how your dinner party's been wrecked? And the only thing he can think of in this scripture is, does, isn't he aware? Doesn't Jesus know what kind of woman this is? And he's outraged. He's outraged that Jesus, the Jewish teacher, should allow a sinful woman to come so close to him. That Jesus might be tainted by this woman in some way. Normally the Pharisees would keep separation. And this is unseemly to him. Jesus, of course, the third person in the story, looks at this whole scene very differently. He looks and he sees faith. He looks and he sees an awareness of need. He looks and he sees great Love. Interesting, isn't it? Three people looking at the same woman 
in very, very different ways. The woman herself aware of her own situation, obviously, but me, the reader, looking in, and Simon, the Pharisee, and then Jesus looking. I want to make just a few points about this passage that I think are really important for us today. The first one's this. When your debt defines you, you can be forgiven. When your debt defines you, you can be forgiven. Many of us experience debt. It starts at quite a young age. If you have siblings, it it starts around that sort of time you have siblings, I think, and you're aware of how chores are given out around the house. Maybe somebody has washing up duty. Maybe someone else has putting stuff away duty. Maybe someone has hoovering duty. And there's sometimes a bit of bartering that goes on when one person can't do their duty one day. And so someone says, well, can, can you do mine and I'll do yours? And there's a debt that's then established. Someone has to do someone else's washing up duty. Or there's trouble to be had. Or perhaps as kids are growing up, you need to, as, a, as an adult, you need to buy something for them and then they owe you the money back and there's this kind of, there's a debt that's a small debt and it's easy to sort out. Or as a student, as you're growing up even further, you decide you want to go off to university and then the debts start mounting up rather quickly. Tens of thousands. And people have credit cards and overdrafts and want to buy a car and so get a loan to buy a car sometimes and People buy homes and so have mortgages and business loans and debt. As a nation, one of our issues is a large amount of financial debt, a large amount of personal debt. And and I'm not particularly talking about personal debt today. If you have got problems with that, there are people who can help. So do let us know because we can point you to organizations and people that can help. But Jesus tells a story in the middle of this encounter with the woman anointing his feet and Simon looking at Jesus saying, don't you know what kind of woman this is? Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about people who owe money. And he he kind of draws a parallel between sin and debt. And Jesus tells this story about people owing money to a moneylender and one owes a large amount and one owes an enormous amount. 500 denarii denarii and the other owes 50 so the to translate this roughly one of them owes two months wages now two months wages is a fair amount 50 denarii fair amount to owe you've you've kind of things have gone a bit wrong you needed some money and so you've gone to the money lender and you've borrowed enough to cover two months wages you've got to pay that back and 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 that's quite a difficult on a laborer's wage which is the kind of illustration that's here It's kind of difficult to earn enough to pay back two months' wages. Difficult to get enough ahead to have enough savings to be able to to then put to the moneylender and say, here, the debt's clear. The other one, on the other hand, owes 500 denarii. That's sort of a a year and two-thirds wages. That's a lot of money. And so there's, there's almost no way this person can pay that money back. They're getting to the point where actually slavery might be an option where you sell yourself into slavery and say, I just can't pay it back, I'll serve you. We're almost getting into that point. And here we are in this situation where both of them owe big debts, one of them owes a large debt, a very, very large debt, with limited assets to sell. And this woman is meant to be the woman, with the person who owes a lot of money. 
Jesus in the story is pointing to her and saying she's like the one who owes a huge amount. And her lifestyle is defined by this debt. She walked into that room in Simon's house. And Simon wasn't thinking, ooh, there's a woman with a bottle of perfume. Simon was thinking, there's a sinner. There's a sinful woman. And as she walked in the door to the meal, Simon knew what kind of woman she was. She was defined by her debt, defined by her sin. Everywhere she went, she was marked out as a sinful woman. Every day, every place she visited, people would be pulled aside not to talk to her. She'd be ostracized. Every single day, she was marked out as a sinful woman. Many of us know the power of guilt and shame. If we were to go back into our past and look back, for many people, for many of us, there's stuff that we'd rather the rest of us didn't know about. Maybe there's things going on right now that we'd rather other people didn't know about because there's a sense of guilt and shame attached to them. We're concerned about the judgment of other people. We're concerned about what others may think and actually we don't like ourselves because of what we see when we look back or we look inside or we look to what's going on right now. And there's an internal and an external challenge that we face. And Simon has got to the stage where he sees this woman through a filter. He's not looking at her as a person anymore in need of God's grace. He's looking at her as a sinner. He's treating her as the sinful woman that she is. Just a little warning to ourselves. Let's not treat people according to their sin. Let's not look at people and label them according to the sin. Jesus never did that. And it's just as well for you and me that he doesn't, isn't it? It's just as well that he looks at us and sees us with love. And this woman's story and the the story Jesus tells about the the moneylender who actually forgives the debt of these two people tells us that no matter how much you owe, your debt can be forgiven. No matter how big you owe God, it can be forgiven. It can be wiped away. No matter how much that shame and that guilt is entwined into your life and it's become part of your story, you can be set free. It doesn't matter if it's a large debt or a small one. It doesn't matter if it's historical or current. You can be forgiven. God has no limits. When your debt defines you, you can be forgiven. We also see this. Thanks, Obi. If you could just take that. If you could just click on the next one for me. We also see that hope is here. And we shouldn't miss it. I want to commend this woman. Commend the sinful woman who arrives at the meal and makes a mess. I want to commend her because there's so many reasons why she may not have made it. There's so many reasons she could have sat at home hearing that Jesus was there and gone, no, I'm not going. It's too risky. I'm too vulnerable. I'll be too exposed. Other people already know me and they judge me. I'm not going near. But she goes. Can you imagine the battle she had before she got there? Can you imagine replaying through that situation in your mind as some of us do? When you've got a difficult phone call to make, you you play it through and wonder how it's going to go. Or you've got a difficult interview coming up or something, you play it through. Well, imagine that this woman is playing through the arrival. What's it going to be like when I get to the house? 
I've got to walk through the streets to get to the house. When I get there, there'll be people there and they'll be looking at me. They'll know who I am. And, and she just goes for it. And there's nothing that stops her. I love the fact that she, she, she doesn't say a word in this whole story. I love the fact that she doesn't engage with Simon. I love the fact that she doesn't engage with any other guests. She is single-minded in what she does. She has one aim in mind, to get to Jesus. She wants to get to him. And when she gets to him, she starts sobbing. And I want to tell you today, if you're struggling with guilt or shame, there's only one solution, and it's Jesus. Don't hold back. It's easy to sit over there somewhere and come up with excuses as to why you shouldn't make the journey to Jesus. It's really easy. Because we can imagine that Jesus will be disappointed with us. We can imagine that Jesus will judge us. We can imagine that, that actually it's better covered up, but it's never, ever better covered up. Do you know why? Because it leaks. Our shame and our guilt leaks. Rob and I went to Tesco's Friday to get some stuff for the men's breakfast. Fabulous men's breakfast, by the way. Thank you, Rob, for sorting that out. Ladies, you're in for a brilliant breakfast on next Saturday. But anyway, we're doing the shopping on Friday. And uh, just at the till, a woman in front of us makes a comment about the items that we're buying because we're buying rather a lot of items. For two blokes in Tesco's, as you do. Rob's already said, all right, darling, on the way around, because we're both feeling slightly uncomfortable about the, what's going on. But anyway, we're there in Tesco's with 60 eggs, with all the sausages, with everything else, and piling it on the checkout. And this woman makes a comment. Yeah, there was at least three of us, wasn't there, on Saturday for the breakfast. 60 eggs was No, there wasn't. It, it was the right amount. Uh, this woman makes a comment about what we're buying. And I naively just went, oh, yeah, it's for a church, for, for church around the corner. We're having a men's breakfast this week, and we've got a women's breakfast next week. And this woman, older lady, I say older not by my judgment of what she looked like, but because of the story she then went on to tell, just out of her mouth came bitterness and hurt. And she proceeded to tell a story about her bleep, bleeping, bleep, bleep, bleeping, ex-husband who had gone to church and what she therefore thought about church um, because of what her bleeping ex-husband had done to her. And this story came out and there was no recognition. And he may have been a monster. From the story she told, it wasn't immediately clear that he was because she also went on to reference other people who were also horrible that didn't go to church, but she just didn't like them either. But I don't want to excuse her husband because I didn't know the guy, obviously. But she went on to tell this story. And within about a minute, we'd gained the understanding that this was a very hurting woman and a very angry woman and a very bitter woman. And there was no understanding that she'd contributed in any way to the problems that were in her marriage. It was all her bleep bleeping husband's fault. And somewhere, I think she'd buried some stuff thinking, well, that's dealt with. I've put that behind me. But everywhere she went, even in Tesco's, it leaks. It just comes out. And folks, you can't help it. If you're trying to suppress guilt and shame, I'll push it to the back. I'll look, I don't like it, I'll push it to the back, I'll push it to the back, I'll hide it. It's just going to come out because it defines how we see ourselves. And it affects how we see others. But hope is here. Jesus is here to set us free from guilt and from shame and from sin. And when it doesn't work covering it up, actually... 
it does work bringing it to Jesus. The story Jesus tells of a moneylender with one owing 500 denarii and one, the other owing 50, we often read this and uh, rightly discover that Jesus is talking about the woman. He's saying, look, she's been forgiven so much, that's why she loves so much. That's why she act, she's acting as she did. Uh, therefore, she is forgiven and I tell her to go in peace. But we forget the fact that the moneylender actually forgives the debt of two people. The story isn't that the one is forgiven and the other one isn't. The story is that both are released from their debt. But only one of them really shows it. And the the painful part of this story is that Simon, who's a good bloke, he's invited Jesus to his house to discover more about him. He's interested in who Jesus is, misses the hope that's there in front of him. He misses his opportunity to have his sin dealt with and his debt cleared. Because in comparison, it doesn't seem as bad as the woman's debt. The answer is that all of us need to respond with faith. Jesus today is holding open the door to forgiveness for us. Faith is just what gets us across the threshold. Just trusting Jesus enough to come and say, yes, I need you. Simon and the woman had the same choice. What happens then? Well, when your debt is paid, your shame is gone at the very end of this passage. There are two things that Jesus says to the woman. He only says two things to her. It says this, your sins are forgiven. That's number one. And secondly, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Now that woman hadn't earned her forgiveness. She was, a. the Bible says, she was when she came into the room A woman who lived, current, ongoing, lived a sinful life. Simon says she is a sinner. This is present, current. And yet in her brokenness, she's come to Jesus. I think she sensed a new opportunity. We don't know what went on before this story. When I talk about the films, we don't know what happened before because there's something that happened before. The woman heard Jesus was coming. She'd heard about Jesus. She may have had some encounter with Jesus. She knew enough to know that this man could make a difference and she'd gone home to get her perfume. Why is that significant? Because she'd gone home to get the perfume, probably, possibly, which was part of her profession. You see, if a woman is known as living a sinful life, In the way that the Bible describes it, it's possible that she's involved in prostitution. And therefore, the perfume that she's been going home to get is actually perhaps involved in her business. To fragrance herself before she has another client. And as she goes to get the very thing which represents her old sinful life, she brings it to the one who can make a difference. And she stands sobbing at his feet and pours it out. Yes, she's anointing and fragrancing Jesus and fragrancing the room, but as she breaks the neck and pours the bottle out, it's no more, it's gone. It's done with. That's all she did. She gave up her old life to say, I need a new start. And she was prepared to press through the crowd to get to the only one who could forgive her her debt. And as she got there, she discovered that the one she arrived at didn't judge her. 
He didn't say, yes, you're right, you rotten woman. Let me now tell everybody else about you because they already knew. They didn't need to know. But what he did was pronounce that because of her faith, her faith that he was the answer, her sin was forgiven. Wow. And there was nothing else she needed to do. Verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Not will be, not might be, if you're a good girl. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid. Your shame is gone. I know that her shame is gone because he finishes with this. Your faith is saved. You go in peace. Go in peace. The only people who have peace with God are those who walk without shame. Those who walk without guilt. And that is Jesus' invitation to us today. It's the same invitation that he issued to that woman, probably before that meeting, that she came running to pour out her old life, to pour out her emotion, to recognize that Jesus was the only way to be free of her shame and her guilt and her sin. And she leaves that place with a command from Jesus, go in peace. One who is now made right with God. One who can walk, head held high, shame gone, debt forgiven, released from the bondages. And today I believe that God wants to say over somebody here or several people here, your debt is paid. Your shame is gone. It's time to stop living in guilt and shame. It's time to stop uh, shrinking back. When you look inside and you go, I don't like the look of that. It's time to stop shrinking back and to bring it to Jesus. Bring it into the open. Bring it into the light. And bring it to the one who will look and declare your sin is forgiven. Guilt and shame have no place in the life of one who's following Jesus. And he sets the woman free. Let me just wrap up by asking this one question. How much? Would you like to be forgiven? A bit? Think if maybe you can think of your personal debt that you might have. If I could offer that the coffee that you got downstairs that you borrowed a pound from somebody to get, I could release you from that today. Some of you go, yeah, all right. Fine, I'll have a pound. If I could say, which I can't, I can release you from your mortgage debt. What would you be more excited about? Probably the mortgage debt, I would imagine. Because that's quite a substantial amount of money. One bit feels like it's within your grasp to fix. Because you'll probably have another pound one day to give to the person who gave you one for the coffee. But paying off the mortgage debt feels like it's beyond you at this point. Which is why you asked the bank for the money in the first place. Similarly with our sin... If we want to hold on to the pretense of self-righteousness, to hold on to the view that actually we're going to do okay by ourselves, thank you very much. God, I'm going to give you little bits of things that are socially acceptable that I'm willing to give to you and say, please forgive me for this bit. And I'm going to sort out the rest myself. We will live our lives carrying on in guilt and shame. If, on the other hand, we go all in with God and we say, God, I'm going to give you the whole lot. You get all of me. 
Here it is. I want you to forgive everything. To wash me clean. There's no place I'm, I'm not prepared to open up to you. There's no part of my life and my heart that I'm not prepared to give you free reign and f- free access and full reigning. Uh, Lord, I want to give you everything and every part of me. There's two completely different approaches there and only one leads to life. Only one where this continual approach where we're walking with God saying, God, it's all yours. is like the woman bringing everything. You don't need to bring perfume today. We don't need to stand and sob at Jesus' feet. Sobbing is not such a bad thing to do when you realize the price he's paid to set you free. How much would you like to be forgiven? Simon discovered, even though he was a good bloke, probably a very kind man, a gracious man, he, despite his attitude towards the woman, He let her into his home. He was complying with the rules. He was trying to live a right life and live for God. And he went to synagogue at the right times and he would have paid his tithes and he would have done all the things that were meant. And yet he, according to the end of this story, we don't know what happened to him. Did he ever find freedom? Or was he just going to carry on and sort out his sin by himself? The woman, on the other hand, who came and made a mess, who came and opened up every part of her life, found freedom and peace. I felt God challenging me today to proclaim over our lives, your debt is paid. Your debt is paid. Did you hear me? Your debt is paid. And if this is an old truth that's lost its impact, hear me afresh today, your debt is paid. Paid. No shame. No guilt. And if there is reason for some, if you are actively sinning, right now, right in the middle of it, if you're planning already as I'm talking how to go and sin again, come to Jesus. Like that woman, she was active in her sin, but something changed her heart. And she came to the one who could make a difference and set her free. And she found freedom. And deliverance. Can we have the band back on the stage, please? I'd love us to pray.